This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. And welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, Shane Told. It is so good to have you aboard for part two of a two-part mini-series with Tampa, Florida legends under oath. If you missed last week, and that's okay, you don't have to listen to these in order. Uh, You can listen to this episode and then go back and listen to that one. It doesn't matter. Uh, But last week I spoke to Spencer Chamberlain, the lead screamer, if you will, of the band. And this week I have Aaron Gillespie, who is, well, he's the drummer. He's the lead singer as well. Uh, And he's worn a lot of hats in his career. Um, He's done it all. At the beginning of Under Oath, he was primarily, you know, a metal drummer. And then he became a singer and drummer. uh, And then he formed... A solo side project called The Almost, which he was lead singer and guitar player. And most recently, he's been playing drums in Paramore uh, and also running his own studio, producing other bands. Uh, so he's done a lot, of, a lot of crazy stuff. And it was uh, really, really great to talk to him about, about all this stuff, but mostly about Under Oath. Before we jump into it with Aaron, I want to take a quick second just to say thank you. Uh, last week was the biggest episode we've had yet. I know there's so many people that are just now getting into the show. This is probably the first podcast they've listened to. So I just want to say welcome and thank you so much for checking it out. Uh, please go back, check out the other episodes, um, and get in touch. Um, LeadSingerSyndrome at gmail.com. I read all my own email. I try to respond to everybody. So, you know, I always love to hear praise and any suggestions you might have for the show. Uh, bring it on. So p- please, uh, please hit me up. Before I recorded this intro, I just went back and I was doing a little editing last minute, uh, listening to the conversation with Aaron, and it reminded me that, yes, I am turning 35 um, next week. <laughs> and it's pretty crazy, man. Like, 35 is a bit of a scary number, and, and when you're in your mid-30s, you know, and Aaron and I are, are, you know, Aaron's approaching his mid-30s, it's funny, you know, we tend to talk about the old days, and, and you know, and we, we it almost seems like we're talking about them like they're the good old days, but I gotta say, honestly, I think that right now, uh, shows are better than they have ever been, and I'm having more fun than I've ever had, and just because, you know, we talk about the old days, and, and with some fondness, and we tell these old stories, it doesn't mean that I think it's better. And uh, I feel great turning 35. I don't feel old at all. And the future feels so bright for me. And, and uh, I love that I have this podcast going where I can talk to you guys about this. I can hear from you. Um, and I can talk to other people too. And it's just, it's just really, really awesome. And I feel like this is just the best point in my life. So just thank you guys for, for being a part of that. Uh, if you want to send me birthday presents, uh, by the way, uh, absolutely. Um, you can send me money in the form of PayPal. You can send me gift cards. Uh, yeah, just send it all to leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I'm half kidding. Actually, I'm 10% kidding. But if you do want to help the show, it is really easy. Uh, just go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. And that'll take you right to the Amazon homepage. If you're going to buy anything, I mean, we got Valentine's Day coming up. Uh, you might want a last-minute Valentine's Day present. I don't know. 
Uh, but whatever you buy on Amazon, the show gets four percent of it. So if you spend a hundred bucks, we get four bucks, and it all adds up, uh, and it does help. So so please check that out. But I will say. I think the best way you can help out the show, if you've got a friend that's into this kind of music or into music in general, um, tell them about the show. Tell them to check it out. Steal their phone when they're not looking. Go into their podcast app. Hit subscribe. You know, it's all good. <laughs> Just uh, anything you can do to help the show grow. And, and of course, like when you do that, more subscribers, more listens, we get better and better guests. And that, that word of mouth really is, is what it's all about. And one last thing, in case you didn't know, I just launched a solo project just a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's called River Oaks, riveroaksmusic.com. I wrote all the songs myself. I played all the instruments. Uh, and the debut 7-inch is out now. It's also available digitally. So you can you can pick up the 7-inch from riserecords.com or newdamagerecords.com in Canada. They got merch as well. Uh, and if you want to check it out digitally, it's on Apple Music and Spotify, and you can buy it on iTunes. So please check all that out, riveroaksmusic.com. Oh, and also, Silverstein is going on tour. In just a few weeks, we're going across Canada, dipping down into the U.S. We're doing you know, the so-called B markets, so we're playing some smaller towns, but we're also playing Los Angeles. We're playing Boston, Washington, D.C. Uh, so please, if you haven't got tickets for that... Check out silverstein.soundrink.com, and we got VIP tickets and general admission tickets and everything right there. One-stop shop. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Aaron Gillespie of Under Oath. Dude, good. It's been a long time, man. It has been, man. How you been? Never better, man. 2016 is uh, it's been good for me so good. far. Yeah, it's a good year. It's a good year. I uh, I've been in insane rehearsal mode, but other than that, um, it's been very good, very very good. So, so you're rehearsing for Under Oath? Well, dude, no, I <laughs> I kind of sketch schedule myself to where i have what well, i only step outside i'm in my studio and there's a band here um, i like this organ this is good i know i thought i was like are you at a baseball game dude <laughs> no no i uh <laughs> i produce bands now i don't tour as much as i used to so i have a studio now and um yeah it's been really busy the last like 10 months so um, who are you working with right now uh, just a local guy right now, um, like a singer songwriter guy, but I, yeah. it's the first, first local thing I've done actually, I do mostly other stuff. So, but yeah, man, no, I, I scheduled myself in the weirdest way to where Paramore does this cruise every couple of years, you know? Yeah. And, I heard about it. Paramore, and, right? Yeah. It's, it's super rad, but like, so I have to leave for under oath rehearsals, like in a week and a half. And then the Paramore rehearsals start in the middle of the under oath rehearsals. Then I do that and then come back. So I have to learn, and the and the Paramore Cruise thing is is dope. They do a lot of cool songs, different stuff. So I I have to learn almost a hundred songs by February twelfth. Oh my goodness! So I have been like, yeah, dude, I have been like at the woodshed, bro. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and on top of that, you're you're producing. Like that's that isn't. Yeah, yeah. I have a band getting here from Chicago on the second. So I've been like 
keeping the weirdest nights, you know, like the weirdest nights. Yeah, so. damn, dude. Are you out in Salt Lake City still? I am, yeah. I still have a place in Florida, too. I kept my original place there so I can kind of pick and choose what I want to do. Um, but I, I really I bet you'd rather be in. I bet you'd rather be in Florida right now. Is it cold out there? It's fucked out here right now. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the sun the sun's out in the daytime, but, you know, like, I'm from Florida, so, like, my skin and crap just can't – I can't hang, dude. But I no. – but oh, I no. I moved all my gear out here, so like that's the problem now. Is like I was able to, the the building I got for my studio is like this hundred year old house right in the heart of the city, and it's been some guy before me converted it all, so I didn't have to spend like a hundred grand like you know floating the sure. rooms and doing the whole thing. So I kind of just kind of just made a vow that I would stay here, you know. So. We'll see how long I last. I don't know. It's right. been. A- well, I like Salt Lake City, man. Like, like I was talking to uh, uh, Stephen from Amberlynn, and yeah. he's out in Albuquerque. You know, he's a Florida dude too. Yeah, and you know, like we were talking about how people that are from out there, like they totally take the mountains and all that beauty for granted. Oh, you don't, dude. You don't. You don't realize, like, when I'm driving home at night, like from the studio, like. It's like the Wasatch Range of the Rockies right in front of my face. And I'm like, holy yeah. cow. You know, especially growing up in, where we grew up in Florida, Stephen and I grew up in the same area. And, I mean, the beach is epic. But, like, if you're inland, I mean, it's just, like, kind of flat and hot. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. it is It is a very cool thing. And where he lives is the Sandia Range. It's just beautiful, man. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I, I, I really do like it. I just... You know, I've had it. It's been different, like it's singing here because it's so dry. And again, sure, you, sure. Again, you know, I come from the some from sea level, so here it's like almost a mile, you know, um, uh, above sea level. So it's it's a whole other, it's a whole other bird, dude. <laughs> yeah, they say you get used to that stuff, but like you know, my sister's in Vegas too, and um, you know, I find it, it just messes me up, you know. And I, I like can't imagine ever adjusting to that. I, you know, I. Uh, other than the singing thing, I, I I'm all right, you know. Like it, you know, oh, like yeah. the gym and everything. I've gotten used to. It's just the, I don't know. As you get older too, you feel stuff more than you, you know, than we did when we were kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, which sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Well, definitely. Well, speaking of which, I mean, I guess it's been a while since you've played these under oath songs. Uh dude, when we sit in a room together in, in ten days, it would have been seven years. Um, yeah, shit! Wow. Yeah. So. It- yeah. We'll are you see. like uh, so you I mean with this schedule like I mean those songs aren't I mean not that Paramore is like songs are easy or anything uh but are you are you like a little nervous about that or or are you welcoming that challenge cuz that's not going to be easy for you? I'm not worried about playing it cuz I you know in the last few years like as a drummer I I think I've really grown a ton because Oh yeah, the, yeah. the the way that I had to play, you know, there's two different guys on the Paramore recordings and I had to learn kind of both their styles. Um and then I do a ton of session work here so you know, I've I've probably better at drums now than I've ever been in terms of the amount that I play. Um, but I have what I haven't done is sang and played drums at the same time. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, and that's exactly. what worries that was me. My all next my question. Yeah, all my solo stuff is I play guitar. You know what I mean? Like in the almost, I never played drums. Um, both of my my worship records, I played. I don't play drums live. So, and I, lately I've been doing just like a general market acoustic thing, which has been really fun. Um, but I haven't been playing drums and singing at the same time. So I actually set up this freaking crazy hazmat ass like mixing system where I can sing and play to the tracks and play drums. And it is, it is interesting, dude. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I mean, 
that's the thing. Like a lot of people, like I can't think of a lot of drummers. Like I mean, singer drummer has it's not a traditional rock and roll thing. Yeah, you know, dude, like, come on, you Phil can Collins, count, bro. <laughs> I mean, that's about it, right? Yeah. I was well, gonna say Phil Collins and the rest. You can kind of count on on one hand. Yeah, you can. Um, you can. Don Henley, the, right? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, the reason, like, I mean, the obvious reason I think is there's the certain aesthetic, or, or you know, maybe it's just because people aren't used to it that 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 aesthetic is like weird to some people. Yeah. But I think yeah. the second reason, and maybe the more accurate reason, is that it's just really fucking hard to do that. Well, I mean, it is fucking hard. Number one, but number two, I guess for Under Oath, it was out of necessity. Cause I, you know, I started singing before Spencer got there. Like we were, yeah. I sing a couple songs on a record called "The Changing of Times," which is, which is I think is utterly horrible. But I think somebody somewhere likes it. So, um, I sang. I on put a, it on from time to time. What, you only sang like on like three of those three songs. I or think something it's only like that. two songs. Yeah. And then when when Dallas left, there was like this weird purge of time where we were like in this hanging unequal equilibrium trying to figure out if we were still going to be a band and there was a there was a big talk for a long time like we're not going to do this anymore and i remember there was like a couple months where we were just like living with our parents like like what's next you know what i mean like that whole thing and yeah um thank god we, we pulled the trigger and and did it because we our lives would wouldn't be what they are now but um we actually were writing some without a singer so and we knew we wanted to go in a more melodic direction so i was just singing but at that point, like I was, there was no way in hell I was going to be the singer in the band because I was too addicted to playing drums in that band. So, <laughs> so I w- we were just writing. Like we rewrote. I, we had the shell of reinventing your exit before um, Spencer was even around, um, and then he kind of came in and put his stamp on it. But we were like full on writing, chasing safety before he even got there. Right, um, yeah. and then yeah. a lot changed when he got there because he's such a musical presence, such a great guitar player too. So a lot changed, but we were kind of off and running. So yeah, it is fucking hard, but also I think that I think that you know for us it was a necessity. I was the guy that could sing, you know. So we just sort of just you know you know how bands are, dude. You know when you guys were young and you were just anything you did to make the ends meet, you did. You know musically, sure. financially, in in every way. I mean, you've been in it as long as I have. You understand. So I think. Yeah. That, oh, I mean, me, my yeah. career as a lead singer only started because nobody else in my band could carry a tune. Yeah, you, you I was get a guitar that. player first too, and then I was yeah. like, "Well, who's going to sing? We can't find anybody." Well, Shane, you just do it, and you know. And I never looked back. And I guess in some ways that was how it was for you at that stage at Under Oath. It's funny because a lot of our peers that are singers, like this, is a cool conversation because you don't realize a lot of our peers who were supposed to be other things in bands ended up being singers. Like Adam Lazar was supposed to play bass and take it back Sunday. Right. Which yeah, is, I know that which very is well. I was, that was my last week uh, podcast actually, which is we crazy. To think, yeah. Which is crazy to think about. Cause he's like, he's like an iconic, like, you know, younger scene front man. You know I mean? He's like fucking Roger Daltrey, that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's just, he's just the most entertaining, most, I don't know. There's, I have I have a hard on for that dude. I've always loved that guy. So anyway, and and we're and, and we kind of came up together. So it's it's cool. But anyways, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. That conversation's cool because you're like, how many guys kind of got into this by accident? You know what I mean? Like, so for me, I guess that's the answer. It was an accidental thing. Um, it kind of just stuck, and now I'm trying to fi- refigure out how the hell I'm going to do it. So, <laughs> Relearning, yeah. Seven I mean, years it, later, but, but, but when, you, when you don't record both at the same time. 
You know, no. you're like when you're making a record, you get in there and you make the drums as sick as you possibly can. And then you're like, oh, shit, I have to sing and play this at the same time eventually. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, but I yeah. bet I bet kids used to ask you about that because yeah, because you know, like like fans don't understand the recording process, you know, usually typically. So yeah. like a lot of times, you know, kids are like, how do you switch from the singing to the screaming so well? And I'm like, well, live, it's pretty hard. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I don't do the singing and the screaming at the same time in the studio, I do like all the singing first, then I do the screaming. Like, right. Oh, how right. does that like? They just don't understand how that even works. Right. So yeah. Was that ever hard for you to explain to people? Oh, oh yeah. I don't I actually. Mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, because a lot of times, like Spencer and I, how we've always done it, um, up until they made their last record without me. But that how we've always done it is we would, we would, you know, I was always, obviously always there for the writing process because I was a drummer. Um, and Spencer is such a great guitar player too. He was always there for the writing process. So we would write these songs and then we would do all of our vocals and lyrics at the end. So we would, it's some, it's, I think on define the great line, maybe it was lost in the sound. We would like go out to my car and we would have like these notebooks that we both wrote in. Um, and we would complete the song like together after the fact. So it was a really interesting a really interesting dichotomy where you we were like thinking about the vocals way later than the songs. That's kind of the way that Under Oath always was in the actual musical parts of the song. So it was it it was hard to explain to kids a lot cuz you're like, "Well, yeah, like this was this was like the very last thing we did." You know, and that's not to say we didn't work our asses off. I just think that, you know, for me, I got myself into more trouble than I should have by doing it that way. So yeah, man, that's that's that is funny because um, I, I mean, even with Silverstein, you know, and I mean, I guess at its core, like Under Oath is a heavy band, you know, like that's Absolutely. something that yeah, that's something that you you know people have to remember, and um, not not that you guys didn't write great songs, and and there wasn't a great pop sensibility to what you did, but you guys were a heavy band, to yeah. which like the song started with like, oh, this is a sick riff. And you know, right. and then the screaming is is going to be the main vocal part, and that can kind of be like whatever. It's just sort of another rhythm on top of the music, right? Right. So I guess that it, you guys were able to do that. And but what's surprising to some people is even in Silverstein, which is more, I guess, more of a, a you know less of a heavy band than Under Oath, uh, we still do it that way too. Like, I, and part of it is because like if you know. This chord progression is a good chord progression, and you know, like the lead is doing a certain thing. You know, you're going to be able to fit vocals in there, right? So you don't always right. have to like be like, well, you you don't need to know what the vocal part of this part is going to be to work on the next vocal part all the time. You That's know? interesting. I you know I always thought Silverstein was heavier than you thought it was. I think so. I don't know. I mean, like when we first toured together in on the in, on that awful fucking tour with all of us on one bus in yeah. in Europe, <laughs> I was like, this band's kind of heavy, like more so live, I guess. So it's interesting to yeah. me that it's interesting to me that you guys do it the same way because I never thought, you know. And then I remember having a conversation with you, and I think we were both drunk, and I, but I don't know why I remember this. I remember you saying. Yeah, it's the new record's super heavy until I put my singing all over it, and I was like, "Huh, he hasn't figured that out yet." <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think I think it's cool that we both do it the same way. It makes no it makes no no sense in traditional songwriting terms, but anyway, it doesn't. But but somehow, you know, you can make it work, I guess. And I think it's like it, it, there's this constant shuttle between, um, like like you kind of look forward and then you look back when you're writing a song, right? And you have right. to if that makes right. any sense. It doesn't really yeah. make sense, but it does. And, no, I, uh, I know what you're saying. 
and you know you're thinking about the vocals when you're when you're writing the music but you don't have to like nothing's concrete and then once you have some vocals written you can kind of go back but if you don't have a foundation already then it doesn't work either you know so it's it's hard you have to make decisions but then at the same time you have to keep things open in case you want to change shit I, so, but I think i you know when you read about like past like rock heroes you know like i read this book um called when giants rum the earth it's a it's a like a led zeppelin biopic book it's a huge book but it talks about how like jimmy page is really the guts of that band you know what i mean oh, like, yeah and he went and found robert plant robert plant was just like this stoner hippie kid um from the middle of nowhere and they had shit handled you know like Led zeppelin one like plant kind of came in and just did his thing you know what i mean so it's it's not as far-fetched as i, I think we all learned by doing you know, like yeah. we were all on tour before we even knew what the hell we were doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think with a band like a band like that, it's almost the same thing. You know, it, it talks about their first U.S. tour, which is they toured there before they toured in anywhere else, even in the U.K. And it talks about how Jimmy was like concerned that Robert Plant, who's the most iconic frontman ever, wasn't going to be able to hack it as a frontman. He's like, I know he can sing, I just don't know if he can write and mm-hmm. if he can if he can like bring the goods live you know so i think i think that a lot of great bands i mean i mean not even putting any of our bands even in the fucking ballpark is led zeppelin but i think that you know i think that that's a normal thing you learn as you go that's what makes it great you know what i mean like i don't know anyway no no i totally know well i always thought it was interesting with led zeppelin because i feel like when you look when you look at that band and the four members Jimmy Page, despite being one of the greatest guitar players of all time, he might be the worst part of the band. Bro, that's like such he, a, he might be he might be the hack of the band. That's such an interesting thing to say because me as a singer and as a drummer, like the shining the shining crown of Led Zeppelin is one hundred percent Bonham and Plant. One hundred percent. I mean oh, Bonham, yeah. Bonham was an alien. Like I don't even understand. Like to this day, it's you know, for a record to be forty years old, like Led Zeppelin two, for instance. And for it to be as poignant in a rhythm place as that record is, and then his voice was just so fucked, man. I don't even understand. You know what I mean? Like it's that whole thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, for, I, I almost agree with you. I, I think it's I, I'm afraid of committing sacrilege by saying he was the worst part of the band, but I think you're right. Yeah, you know. Well, <laughs> the other thing though is that is that Jimmy Page doesn't get enough credit for being a producer of those records too. Well, dude, you know, and, let, I mean, and he, he like changed everything with his like, you know, he invented certain recording techniques from what I understand, like Absolutely. On Led Zeppelin, you know, from Led Zeppelin one to four, you know, especially Led Zeppelin two. They did that whole record. I'm kind of a classic rock nerd, but they did that whole record like on the road, various hodgepodge situations. And he actually was the executive producer on that record and actually put it together himself, which I think yeah. is great because you know how it is. Do you like. You get on the road and you don't want to go into a studio on your day off. You know what I mean? And he was forcing – at that point, he was forcing the other three guys in America, like they weren't even at home, to go and make this record because at that at that point, the label was like, okay, we need a second record. We want to get it out before the Christmas rush. You know how that is. So sure. he's making these other three bastards who want to be at home with their families. He's making them on days off instead of, you know, going, get a nice meal, going to the mall. Like we all do. Like they, <laughs> he, he made them go to studios. Like there was like, I was reading the other day, there was like 15 studios that Led Zeppelin two was recorded. 
put it in. And yet somehow that thing is cohesive as shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, I mean, he, he doesn't get enough credit, but I think you're right. I hate to say it, but I think you're right. Damn it. Anyway. <laughs> I don't think Led Zeppelin was going to a lot of malls. I mean, if you watch some of their, uh, their party stories, like <laughs> bro, <laughs> they were bro. crazy. They were and that's like, the thing about him. Yeah. How did that guy sing so good? Like you see him like on those DVDs, and I mean, there's no auto tune back then, you know. No, and no. he was like nailing it, and and like, I don't even know what drugs he's on. It's crazy, man. I don't know how smoking they did a pack it. a day, staying what up, a, yeah, right, staying up right. all night, you know. Completely and I'm like, if I don't get eight hours of sleep, man, I'm fucked the next day. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, but hey, but he couldn't play drums and sing at the same time, or maybe hey. he could. Who knows? He probably could. That guy was a unicorn. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Well, I got to ask you, man, jumping back, there was something I wanted to ask you in the last uh, little group of talk, and I didn't. Um, I want to ask you, had you decided that you wanted to take more of a role as a singer in Under Oath before Spencer joined? Like after Dallas left uh, or you kicked him out or whatever happened, um, was that was that like where you kind of felt like, oh, shit, I have to become more of a presence with my clean singing? I don't, I don't know that that was – it was like a calculated – what you're asking me is if it was a calculated decision, and I don't, I don't know that it was. Yeah, a, kind of. I don't, I don't know that it was a calculated decision. I think, I think we just knew that we wanted to go to more, more melodic direction. You know, we wanted, we wanted like, I, we used to say this phrase, which is insane, which doesn't, it doesn't stand true to the band at all. But we, we wanted to be like Jimmy World that was heavy. That was our idea. Yeah. You know, which doesn't really sound like Under Oath at all. But we, and, and again, and, and again, I was the only guy around that was that could sing. You know what I mean? So I think that it was just, again, by default. Um, but then I, I, you know, what's funny is in, in years past, like I always wanted it to be even more melodic. I felt like, you know, if we did a more structured thing, we could have been huger or, you know, whatever else. Uh-huh. But, uh-huh. but in the very beginning, like when I started singing all the time, like before Chasing Safety, I was pushing to have Spencer scream more. And Spencer, who's a great singer even in his own right. Not just a screamer, you know, like he's, yeah. a, he's a great singer, period. Yeah. Um, I was pushing back then for him to even scream more, which is why you have songs on Chasing Safety like Young and Aspiring and um, I'm Content with Losing and other tracks like that that happened because I think that him and I were like afraid of taking, taking the band completely out of the heavy realm. Um, yeah. Which, which now that I look back, I think that was a good decision. Um, but again, you know, that was... 13 fucking years ago. I can't even remember what we were doing. Yeah. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. But I, I think, I don't think it was a calculated decision. I think it was a necessity thing. Um, and I think that I began to, to love the songwriting process more. Um, and I think that's what made me the drummer that I am today. Um, Cause producers always tell me I'm a lyrical drummer, which is funny to say, but I think that I kind of follow um, and kind of pick out things that, that the voice is going to do. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that I became addicted to the writing process as a singer. Um, and I think it was necessity. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I guess a lot of people didn't know Spencer could sing until you left, <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, like, like, and I think I even like when I heard their, you know, the last under oath record that you weren't a part of, I was like, holy shit, who's doing these vocals. And I guess Spencer was singing, uh, you know, throughout a lot of the, the band just, Sometimes you didn't know if it was him or you, you know, who was singing the part. Right. We 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 had that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, but I always wonder, like, why the why the decision, like, like track two on um, chasing safety, like, 
that song starts and it's you singing that part. Yeah. And not Spencer, where I almost feel like, well, he could have, he could definitely have sang that. And sure. I just wonder where that decision was. Was it because it was your song? Was it because he was the new guy in the band and you weren't sure? Or a combination? I, you know what's even funny is like Spencer and I wrote all the lyrics, you know, like always kind of cut it down the middle together. You know, there's a lot of screaming stuff yep. that I would write and a lot of singing stuff that he would even write. But that song, Tim actually wrote the lyrics to that first verse. Huh. And and to most of that song. I don't know why I just remembered that, but that's the truth. And um I can't honestly remember why that decision was made. You know, I think I think if Under Oath were to ever make another record, which I have no inclination that that would happen, but if I think we did, it would be a very different thing, especially with Spencer as kind of grown as a singer. You know, I, I, I don't know. I think it would be a very different approach than it was then. You know, I think, I think that was maybe the second or third song written for Chasing Safety, and yeah. I was already singing. The first one written was, was Reinventing Your Exit, which I was just singing on a ton. You know, yeah. so then I think that when that song came along, it might have been the second or third song. And it was just like an unstated, stated thing, if you will, that I was going to speak to all the singing parts. Yeah. Um, and he actually does sing in the verses. Um, we were listening. like, we Yeah, kinda, yeah, no, he does. Yeah. We dug back into those records a few weeks ago trying to get ready for this tour. And it's interesting to see how much stuff he actually did sing um, and have to figure out who – does what live because we you know some of that stuff we they hadn't even touched in years after i left i left in 2010 right. so yeah i don't you I guys don't are think... are you guys fighting over who has to play how, who has to sing what fuck no dude i'll let him i'll let whoever do whatever man i'm scared, <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> that's I'm, honesty right there yeah i'm scared to do both dude i it'll be fine like i think i've got it pretty well figured out but, you know, there's just – and again, it's the whole studio thing. There's some stuff on there that I physically just cannot do. Like, you yeah. know, where one bar overlaps another, that's the beauty of multi-tracking. You know, sure, like of course. The whole thing. So I think that there will be it'll – be, it'll be pretty true to the records, but I think there will be some, some tricks we pull um, to sort of save me from collapsing um, and right. uh, being able to play the drum parts that I actually recorded as a as a beaming twenty three year old, so we'll see, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. It's a dude. It's a lot different when you're thirty two than when you're twenty one and twenty three years yeah. old. You know. So oh, yeah, man. Hey, I know. We'll I'm see. Gonna be thirty. I'm going to be thirty five next month. So I knew you were older than me. You old balls, dude. Damn. <laughs> you got kids? Uh no, I'm not. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. Uh, I thought you were I'm, married. I don't know why I thought that. No, I've been, I've been, I live with my girlfriend here in Toronto. I'm in my apartment right now. Uh, we've been together for almost five years, I guess. So, damn, dude. Yeah, yeah. Damn, that's dope, man. Yeah, I have a yeah, four-year-old, no. so I feel increasingly older. Like, you know, like the other does day. Does that happen when you have a kid? Do you feel? Does it make you feel older somehow? No, uh, people just talk to you different when you got a kid, man. Like, you know, you drop them off at school. Like my kid goes to daycare, and I drop him off this morning, and the lady was like. She was like, um, she's like, I hope you have a, a great day at work. And I was like, oh, shit, she doesn't even know. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's that yeah. whole thing where they're like, have a great day at the office. That, that's what she said. Oh, oh you have yeah, a great, yeah. Great day at the office. I'm like, look at me. I have tattoos on my neck and hands. What office do you think I'm going to? <laughs> like, you know, so it's just people look at you. People look at you and talk to you different, which is great because you, you want to feel responsible when you have a child. But you know, have a good day at the office is makes you feel old as balls, dude. When you're like, 
yeah, I'll have a good day at the office, like where I just go and listen to music for 12 hours. See ya. <laughs> like, so yeah. weird. So weird. Well, you have you have so many musical projects, uh, you know, on the go. I mean, I think is the almost sort of something that's a little bit in the rearview mirror now. Yeah, I, you know, that band was really successful for a minute, and I think that that's a weird time in music right now. Like stylistically, I think it's different now than it's ever been, um, and I almost think like as with a rock band, like if it wasn't popular, like pre two thousand six. You know, like, yeah. I just don't think you have much of a chance right now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe, yeah. And the first, I, I don't know if that's true. You know, I think there's bands that are like, and I love rock music. It's my bread and butter, obviously. But I think that, you know, the first Thomas Record came out in 2007, and the first one did really well, and the second did one did really well, and the third one took a dump. And I think that, I think, I just don't think people want to hear that kind of music right now, you know? Um, yeah. And number, and number two, I just, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I'm not that guy. You know, there's nothing worse than going and seeing a band that you like, you know, kind of associated your childhood with and associated the time in your life with. And there's like a hundred people there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when that, when that band, of course, five years before was in buses and there was huge crowds. Like I just put a bullet in it before it got bad. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't think that, I don't think that's fair to the fans. And I don't think that's fair to yourself, you know, cause so much of what we do is based on aesthetic you know, and like how you feel when you're standing on a stage. And I didn't want to go give people some half-assed performances because I was downtrodden. And that's not to say that I make music only for other people, but that's a giant part of what we do. You know what I mean? So like, I, yeah, I just couldn't do it, man. I just, I just got to a point where I could be, be, began to see the decline and I was like, yeah, let's just put a bullet in this thing, you know? And, and, and what's great about it is I didn't do the whole like farewell, you know, like goodbye. Like I just sort of, just stop talking about it and stop recording yep. music and stop playing shows. Um, so that way, if I ever decide I want to do something like in that rock vein, I can just go and do it without having to ask questions, you know, yeah. or I, without having to say this is a reunion or, you know, this is a, this is a 10 year thing. I just go and do it like on my own accord without having to worry about what anybody thinks. So, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you guess you could, I guess if you really wanted to and, and who knows like what kind of dust under oath is going to kick up, uh, you know, in March when you guys get started, but this could have a resurgence for the almost, and it could be 2017, and you could be doing the Southern Weather. You know, you're right. Yeah, yeah, who knows? Yeah, like, you know yeah, that. that and you know, you say, I'm sure that's something that not only would you enjoy, but fans of that record would enjoy. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, I don't think so. You know, and and, I, and it would be great not to have to say this is a reunion. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think I think what happens a lot, and this is so interesting to see these days, because right now I feel like you know the music that we all came up doing is all reaching its ten to fifteen year old mark. So everyone is doing these tours now, which I think is cool, and I think the fans love it, and that's ultimately what it's about. But you know, you get out yep. there on these reunion tours, and you see how big it is, you know, and then you get an idea in your head like, oh shit, like maybe we can do this again. You know, maybe right. there's a, maybe there's a right. viable maybe there's a viable business here. This was so fun. Um, and so I like the idea with the almost that I don't have to like apologize. Like if I, if I do another tour and it's really successful and then I decide to do another record, it's not like, Oh, we're getting back together. Cause we made a bunch of money. Like it's going to be like, we're getting back together because we never broke up. I'm just making a yep. record. You know what I mean? So I guess yep. I, I kind of want to, I want to be the author of my own destiny always, you sure. know, as much as I can. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's also a lot easier for you to say that and for you to make that statement 
coming from a place where you have other successful musical projects on the go and you know yeah i mean if the almost if you if you you know started in 2006 and the almost was 2007 and that was the only thing you ever did then you you're probably you're you know you'd probably have a way different perspective on things for sure i've always tried to just be a renaissance man in the sense where i've I've always tried to just do everything um because i i just love music and i love people and i love connecting with people through music and i think that for me that's just my destiny that's who i am you know so yeah but i mean that's that's a question i i guess i should ask you too then i mean i remember talking to you about the almost well i mean at, at least you starting another project like as early as probably that probably that european tour we did back in like oh five i think we were talking about it and that was like yeah that was like the the big the beginning of all like, I know it hadn't it? it was the very beginning maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't then I, I remember very very vividly a conversation that you and I had um, with my buddy you guys were playing with the used and um, Alexis on fire in Toronto um, oh God that might have been like that might have been like right after that tour event it was I think it was man you we were you guys were playing at that arrow hall place yeah and I remember I remember a conversation I had with you is you were talking about you were going to do the solo project and you still were trying to find, or I think the name, I think you told me the name and then you said something like, yeah, you're going to call it that. And you wanted to call it like Aaron is a real boy or something, but you're like, but then that would just be a total say anything rip off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you remember that conversation. I it's do now. Random. I do. Oh, you now. do? Yeah, I do now. That's funny, but, dude. Yeah. But my question, sorry, and I'm going way off on a tangent, but, uh, but my question is, I guess, if you hadn't decided to do that, if you weren't such a such a renaissance man, do you think that Under Oath would still be together in the same form and you guys would still be doing this? And do you think it maybe could have even been bigger? I don't know. I don't know. I've thought about that recently a lot, you know, especially with us doing us back together doing this stuff. And, you know, like we're kind of like really connected again, which hasn't happened in a long time, you know, like especially like when we sit down on January February 13th, it'll have been almost... That's my eight. birthday. Yeah, there you go. It'll be almost uh, eight years since we sat down together. And I, you know, I I could look back at that and go, yeah, if I hadn't have done that, maybe my focus would have been... But I don't, I don't know that I ever waned in my focus from Under Oath. You know, I don't think that doing the almost to me took the, the lens off Under Oath because it was apples and oranges. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in terms of songwriting and structure and arrangement and the whole thing, but you know, I think just that even under- the instrument you you know you were focusing on. Yeah, and I think Under Oath is, I I don't know, man. Everything Under Oath ever did was like on 110. You toured with us multiple times. You know what it's like. You know what I mean? It was just such an emotional bunch of people in the sense where everything was a democracy to the to the to the bottom line. You know, there wasn't one guy who was like, yep. "This is this is the way it's going to be. This is what we're going to do." Um, and I think we would have imploded either way, honestly. Um, yeah, looking back at it now, and I, I mean those guys. Now it's a totally different thing. We all got kids. Like we ain't got nothing to fight about. We don't give a shit. You know what I mean? But like back then, you know, we really, really were passionate about what we were doing, you know, like from, from our t-shirt designs to what the songs were, you know what I'm saying? So I think that, you know, and I just was in a mentally unhealthy place for so long. Um, I think the almost kind of saved me from that, um, kind of being able to have that outlet. So I don't know if it would have been around or even been larger, um, I, I think it would have imploded for me either way. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I, I was talking to Spencer a little bit about, um, 
you guys getting back together and and he kind of mentioned that it sort of happened based on you know for, for I guess for the other five guys um, based on the DVD that they'd put out and actually communication lines sort of started opening because they were putting out this DVD about them breaking up yeah um, which is funny but you weren't involved in that conversation at all were you mm, no I mean we started this group text two years ago um, that was we wanted to do a chasing safety 10-year reunion. Um, and we had, you know, some of the guys, like Chris works a government job, like a crazy strict government job. Um, and then Tim and James, like, work for this giant merch company. And people, you know what, Tim has three kids. You know what I mean? Wow. So it's like, yeah, yeah, so James has two, Chris has two, and I have one. And Grant and Spencer don't have any kids. But anyway, I, you know, I... We, we, we started this group text talking about doing this one show. And so after they did that DVD, it sort of started trickling. Like the communication lines kind of opened up. you know. And I think that we knew if we were going to do a reunion of any kind, it would have to be the uh, uh, OG guys. you know. Um, yep. So we started talking about doing this show. And it first started as a tour idea for They're Only Chasing Safety. And then we realized, like, we can't do a tour. And at this point, I was like right in the middle of Paramore's self-titled run. So I have, I was literally like in 15 countries every two weeks. It was constant, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, so we decided to do one show. We had talked about doing like one show at like just some, some crazy ass, like 300 person bar, which would have been murder. But we started, we talked about, <laughs> we talked about doing that. And then we realized it was just impossible that we wanted to, if we were represented ourselves, like as the original guys, we wanted it to be like a grandiose thing. You know, that looked great, that sounded great, that was well rehearsed, that, you know, it wasn't a bunch of old dudes plugging some amps in and stumbling over 10 songs. You know what I mean? So um, we decided that we would chalk it up to 2016 and see see what happens when when Define the Great Line turned 10. So that's how this all happened is it just sort of of started us all talking again um, and ended up as us just – we're just going to do a 10-year reunion for Define the Great Line and then it turned into this – giant freaking insanity night that we're going to attempt to pull off so (laughs) yeah i just got sent awesome new wireless earbuds from raycon i opened the box opened up my phone and literally in less than a minute i was jamming out to my favorite tunes what struck me right away was how well these fit and then how amazing they sound definitely more bass than my other wireless headphones but the biggest game changer is the price The E25 earbuds they sent me start at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, have six hours of playtime, and really are super comfortable, whether it's music, conference calls, or binging this podcast. And there's no dangling wires or stems to distract other people if you're on a video call. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Melissa Etheridge are just a few people obsessed with with Raycons. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not the other distractions from the room. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash LSS. That's B U Y R A Y C O N dot com slash LSS for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buy Raycon.com slash LSS. If you're in tech, 
You've been there before. Feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for designer development only to find out months later that it's not a fit. And those types of mistakes aren't cheap. Instead, Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. Mutual Mobile has built apps for numerous companies that have been acquired, such as Eero, acquired by Amazon, FlexDrive, acquired by Lyft, and MapMyFitness, acquired by Under Armour. You get a dedicated team to help you with your tech project from start to finish, from ideation to product shipment to maintenance and everywhere in between. Mutual Mobile designs and builds beautiful mobile and web apps that increase the value of your business. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link slash LSS to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S to get started with your free consultation today. No, I, I mean, I look forward to it. I, I, uh, I'm going to be, we're, we're playing with you guys at the, uh, at the So What Festival uh, in Dallas. I hope that thing doesn't rain so, out, dude. It rained oh, out. Is a, it, I didn't know it was outside. Yeah, a couple years ago, I was playing in the amphitheater across the way. Okay. Um, and it rained out. I was playing with Paramore in the amphitheater across the way, and my buddy was drum teching for one of the bands, and he was like, dude, can I come over? I was like, why? He's like, he's like, it's raining. Oh, I was no. like, oh, hope it doesn't rain. That'd be fun, though. I didn't know you guys yeah. were playing. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. Um, I think yeah, we're on the same day as you guys. Thank God. I would it would really suck to be there but not see you guys. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's. I didn't know it was outside. I don't know why I didn't know that. But um, the yeah, like Dallas isn't exactly a warm city in March. I don't think you know. Like no, it's a little. You're bro- rolling the dice a little bit with the weather, right? Yeah, it's not. You're not looking at Florida in March where you're you're no guaranteed sun and seventy three degrees. You know, it's yeah, gonna be yeah. it's gonna be gross. But whatever, dude. As long as it doesn't rain, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I know. Well, that would be that yeah, would be a total bummer. And yeah, that'd be fun. Guys are rolling through. Yeah, no, I'm stoked. Um, it should be good. And I know you guys are rolling through Toronto, but unfortunately, I'll be on tour. Oh dang! So uh, too bad. Yeah. But. we're playing. We're playing like a smaller venue in Toronto. Apparently, the venue that our agent wanted is like shut now or something. Yeah, I heard that. Is you guys are trying to play Sound Academy? Yeah, and, uh, and it's closing for like six months. And you guys are at the Phoenix, which yeah, it's it's not the best venue. It's uh. It's like, you know, being a kid growing up here and going to shows, uh, like, and I've seen plenty of shows there. It's not my favorite. It's know? actually the smallest show of the tour, like in terms of like the venue size. Oh yeah. I think it's only like, it's only like the 1200 cap or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, by but, far the smallest show of the tour, which is interesting because I mean, it's sold out so fast. I was bummed because Toronto has always been such a great place for us. And I was like, dang, yeah. dude, like this is, this is all we get. And our agent was like, yeah, I mean, this is all you get. Like. Yeah, you know, it's, it's too bad. So. I mean, I mean, yeah. There's another venue. I don't know if you guys even like if your agent knows about it because it's a bit. He's got to know about it. But Danforth Music Hall is a pretty good venue in Toronto. It's like 1500. Uh, would have been a little bit better, a little more space. Um, yeah, but, I don't you know. know. Whatever. I know you guys are on a bit of a time crunch with this thing. Um, you know, I know probably mostly for guys like Chris and yeah. Tim, you know, and, and James uh, yeah. more so than like Spencer and you. Um, who are you know? You guys are still basically still you know immersed in music. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I thought it was funny, like talking to Spencer about this too, but uh, about like, and I'm sure you watched the the Under Oath Tired Violence DVD. I'm sure you, yeah, you've seen yeah. it, right? I love the like. There's a shot of the last show and the gear just slow motion going into the crowd like you won't need it anymore oh yeah like there's a floor tom going in and then <laughs> yeah. slow motion of like chris's mixer and i just thought that that's really funny you know um Dude. but i guess you still have all your your gear right bro i have i switched companies i have more gear now than i've ever had man i have i still <laughs> you know it's funny though i still have the same road cases they say paramore and under oath on them <laughs> which is so yeah. funny but you know I love that. chris sent a group text picture out like three or four days ago he it was like these amazon boxes of all this keyboard shit he's like shouldn't have thrown that stuff in the crowd <laughs> he had to spend yeah, like thousands of dollars like replacing all this stuff that he threw in the crowd so funny and a lot of it they don't make anymore because that technology changes so much we had to go like buy like expensive ass vintage stuff what an idiot. What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is funny. Uh, I, I want to ask you about Paramore because that's, uh, that's kind of a unique thing. I mean, them being like – Paramore being like one of the biggest rock bands in the world now. Yeah, it's crazy. Which, which it is crazy. It kind of like – I want to say it kind of came out of nowhere too. I didn't um, know. I mean I've known I've known them for a long time, you know, but I, I didn't know that uh, – I didn't know how popular they were. I, I mean, I did. I knew how popular they were, but I didn't realize until I stepped on stage and was like, holy shit. Like, this is serious. Um, but they're amazing, amazing people. It's an honor to get to play with them live. So, yeah. Yeah. So you, you just play with them live. Do you have yeah. any, um, no, do you work no. with them at all on any songs or anything? No, 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 no. Just a solely a live guy, which is, which is great. I, I mean, it's, it's something that's super challenging. Um, because of their stature and because of, um, you want to be great for something like that, you know, and, and it's not right. your, and it's not yours, you know, so you want it to be like great, great, great. But they're, I mean, they're the best people, dude. I can't, I couldn't say enough about how great they are to, to all of us. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. No, you say challenging. It's, it's like, I almost feel like that's the last word I would expect you to use because, you know, you getting up there and playing like, you know, for the most, most part, like, you know, four four time, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, like kind of mid tempo stuff, and you know, I'd say their drums are a lot more complicated than you know typical like you know, uh, you know, pop rock radio act. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm saying, I mean, challenging in that in that with something like the almost or the solo stuff you're doing, like that is all encompassing. You know, everything that you know you're deciding on the set list and you're deciding on the press and you're deciding on probably where you guys stop for lunch, you know? Yeah. And now all of a sudden with, with Paramore, you, all you have to do is play for like an hour and a half. That's it. But yet you use the word challenging. So I find that kind of interesting. I guess for me, for me, I just, I want to do them right, you know, or better than right. And in yeah. Rubin played drums on their last record, who is probably the best drummer in the world. Like literally, I mean, I think that he, yeah. I think he, unless there's some dude hiding in his basement, which there probably is, but I think, Elon oh, there is, always is, there I, I think always it, is, you know, Alon plays for nine inch nails and, um, yep. he's just an animal dude. And a lot of that he's, he's an ambidextrous person. He's not right or left-handed. So there's so many fills and weird stuff that doesn't sound difficult. But then when you, you sit down and try to dissect it, you realize he's doing it with his left hand first, you know, and right. as a right-handed guy. Um, and you know, it's just a lot of songs, man. I mean, Paramore has a large, large catalog 
You know what I'm saying? So like, there's just a lot you have to learn. And the way that I started playing for them is so unorthodox too. You know, I was, I was supposed to only be there for a very short amount of time and I got a very short notice. So I had to learn like 20, I think it was 28 or 29 songs in four days. Um, yeah. So I, you know, challenging in a sense where it's just gotta be perfect. You know, when it's, when it's your band, you just get up there and you do, you make it live and killer. But if you screw up a little bit, it doesn't matter. It's your band. Who gives a shit? Right, you know what I mean? Like, right, yeah. But with them, it's not, it has nothing to do with me. I'm just providing providing the drums for them. So I want it to be perfect. You know what I mean? I don't want them to have to go, wow, like, what's he doing? You know what I mean? Like, I want it to be, like, killer. So, yeah, I mean, it is challenging is the number one word, honestly. That's cool. No, that, that's really, really cool. And yeah. you're still doing that now? Like, is there um, kind of no one inside in the earth? Yeah, tough for the now? foreseeable future, again, like I said, I'm not in the band. So I don't know the inner workings of kind of what they're doing or anything like that. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Right on. So um yeah, we were trying to connect we were trying to connect in Salt Lake City when when we rolled through and then we were trying to connect in uh San Antonio when our oh, shows yeah. got yeah, our yeah. shows got um um combined and I didn't see you. But how was uh how was it doing doing some of the solo stuff? Dude, it's been really good. I've kinda of shifted gears in the last couple of years and I've been doing like like I started recording some some like non Christian market solo songs, some like general market um, stuff that, and that should come out this year at some point. Um, I don't have the details in front of me, but and that's uh, going to be under under your first name, last name. Um, I think so, and it'll have like a like a subtitle called "Out of the Badlands." Um, but I don't, I don't, I haven't really figured it out a hundred percent yet. I'm just sort of in the yep. process. I'm like halfway through the record right now. Okay, so um, that's what you heard the organ for. Um, but you know, yeah, I'm like halfway through the record now, trying to figure it all out. Um, but, you know, I've kind of shifted gears. I've been playing, like, some Under Oath songs and some Almost songs. And I feel like it's just been such great touring for me because people connect with that stuff so much. And, you know, all those fans now are, like, in their 30s. You know, so they get sitters yeah. and come out and drink yeah. beer and listen to me play, like, 25 songs spanning the last 15 years. And it's so fun. You know, like in San Antonio, right. that show was so fun. Because a lot of you, you know, we share a lot of fans, you know. So, like. Yeah, when, yeah. When I went on, the place sold out on the other side, and it was just like really cool because they were there to see you guys ultimately. But like, you know, this little extra treat, and they were like, "What the heck? This is awesome!" So oh, no, we were stoked. To, we were stoked to have it. And and the reason I that I missed you was my my, uh, my girlfriend flew in that day. Oh and, no. And yeah, and we ended up. I was like, okay, what time's Aaron on? Okay, all right, we're gonna go to we're gonna go for dinner, but we'll make it back to see him. And you know how that you, goes. Yeah. You, so you, I totally missed your set and. Uh, and I was bummed that I didn't see you. So yeah, we but, left. But, we left super fast. I was gonna try to text one of you guys for a drink, and then, you know, we just do those small tours like in a van and just stay in hotels every night. So I was like, sure. Our our driver was like, we're getting out of here, dude. And I was like, okay, see ya. <laughs> like we didn't even. I think I caught three songs side stage while you guys were playing, and then they made me leave. Um, dude, I won't take up too much more of your time. Um, but I want to ask before you go. Like, I, I really want to kind of get to the bottom of um of how this how you left the band you know under oath how how you left and why and cuz it's like it's it's been documented sort of in a strange way yeah. and uh and i yeah. kind of just want i just kind of want you to set this record straight cuz it was what 2010 when you left um is yeah, that right yeah, I and, think and so. i think so yeah you'd already had uh you know you'd already had success with the almost and you know you were i think you'd already had you put out two records with the almost already yeah 
So yeah, it wasn't sure like you were leaving the band to do another band. You know, you were already doing no, both. No, which and, is what and you people had think schedule. a lot. Well, that's right. But you already had that schedule down, so I know that can't yeah. be the reason. So I'm just no. kind of wondering what was going on in your head and what, what made you ultimately have to say goodbye to Under Oath at that time. I think for me, you know, and I, I, I explained this semi-soonish ago. I can't remember. Um, anyway, when it was. But anyway, I was just mentally unhealthy. Uh, meaning like I just was miserable in my own skin, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, and I, I was so hypochondriatic and so anxious and kind of needed to get help. You know, and I think that I thought at the time that by leaving under oath, I would be like purging myself of the demons or something. I don't I don't even know, to be honest. Now, looking back at it, uh, me and Spencer and Tim had this conversation um, a few months back. Like, I, I don't even know what you know if there's any stark reason i just knew i thought it would help where i was in my life well you know that's funny you say hypochondriatic because i totally remember that about you you know yeah like like us especially when we were in when we were in uk yeah yeah, like the first time you being like can i eat this i was like aaron it's fries dude it's fine yeah like is this gonna make me sick you know like you were worried about about that and you were worried about, you know, like, I mean, in the environment, we were sleeping 21 people on an 18-person bunk. Like, uh, oh that probably God. wasn't healthy. But, you know, uh, but it is true. Like, you're you're thrown into these new, these different countries and these different environments. I could totally see how if yeah, you were I just, thrown to that thinking, then, yeah. I just wasn't ready for it. I, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I wasn't ready. And that far into it, I just wasn't, I wasn't in the right headspace to do it. Right. You know what I mean? Like... And now I'm like a very healthy person, you know what I mean? Like I travel more now than I ever have. But I think that, you know, I I think that I thought that it was like it was the right thing for me at the time, you know, but, but you I know, like you guys looking dropped, back at the reason, yeah, I don't yeah. really know that there was one other than to satiate my insanity at the time, you know. Right. But I mean, I guess like, you know, I remember you guys dropped off Warp Tour, you know, back in 06, and I know that that had a lot to do with like Spencer, um, you know, and some some problems he was having. Um, you know, you guys decided, Hey, we need to pull ourselves off, you know, off this tour so we can continue. So we can figure this out and we can continue to be a band. Yeah. And I'm just like, don't know why no one came to that conclusion for you when you guys were like, when you decided after that European tour, like I'm done. If it was in part because you had another project that you could kind of control if that factored in or, or if it was just that everybody in under oath was so, like you you're, you said earlier, like 110% like work ethic, like crazy. That but um, I think, I mean, I think that's, I think that's the answer. Like you just said it like, yeah, work, work ethic, but also in every way. I mean, that band was like 110% when it was positive, 100% when something was positive, it was 110% positive. When it was negative, it was 110% negative. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. it was that kind of thing. Like, and whatever we did, like if we felt we had to fix something, we would cut all ties with whatever the hell we were doing to fix something. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I think that's was sort of the reaction that I was having even then. And I thought by, okay, I'm going to hundred percent get out of this. You know what I should have done in hindsight was be like, I need some time off. Yeah. You know, to get healthy. You probably um, all did. I don't, yeah, you, we probably, uh, we definitely all did because we were like, I mean, we, we toured more than anybody, you know what I mean? So, but I, I think that now looking back on it, I'm glad it happened because it enabled us to be where we are, you know? And, and I think it kind of gave under oath a little bit of space to go and do what they wanted to do with that last record. And I think it makes it more special now. You know what I mean? I so, so I, 
you know, and I, I think that in hindsight, I'm glad I did it because it enabled me to get healthy, right? Um, ment- mentally and emotionally. Um, and also I think that it made this what it's going to be too, you know? So, and that, not to say that, you know, the only value in under oath is myself. That's not what I mean, but I, I just mean that era and kind of where we were, you know? How much of the, how much of the Christian label and that being taken away, like stripping the band of that. And I know that you and Chris, you know, I know now are kind of like the, the guys that are like, yeah, we're, you know, we're still like practicing Christians and that's still something like that's a big part of, of, you know, our lives. And some of the other guys kind of don't have that in their lives as much. Um, yeah. Or have grown out of it or, you know, whatever it is that, that, you know, you know, you want to chalk it up to. Um, how much of that factored into you leaving? I, you know, I think at the time I told the press a lot that that was the reason. You oh, know? did you? Okay. Um, I think I think I did. I don't even know, dude. I was so maladjusted at that point in my life. But you know, seven years later now, like I I I honestly don't think that had much to do with it. Honestly, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't really. I have a couple of Christian records out now, but I don't really actively pursue that that in a professional level at all anymore. Um, I just don't. I don't. I'm kind of in a place in my life now where I, I don't know that I got to be careful how I say this. So I don't really know how much I want to be involved in the Christian music world at all, you know, um, for a cavalcade of reasons. And that's another conversation, but, um, I don't think it had as much to play into it as I, as I chalked up to at the time, at the time I was like, yeah, I'm leaving. Cause I want to, I don't want, you know, this and that, but I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that was the case. I really don't. And I guess I've, I've never told anybody that. So you get the exclusive on that, my man. But I don't think, I think that I was just mentally unstable and grasping at straws to find a reason when, when the reality was, I was the reason I needed to just step away yeah. you know, for my own sanity. Um, if you will. When that under earth record came out, did you, did you like buy it on the first day? Did you hear it before? It yeah. Came out? Oh dude, I heard it months before it came out. Yeah. And I, I, I still think that record's great. Um, I was so proud of them. I was so proud of Spencer, to be honest with you, for just dude. I was proud of Spencer, man. I couldn't believe like the you know, no. how, like I was like, wow, what a vocalist! Like it's it's crazy. Um, when you guys are doing these um these shows coming up, are you guys just playing those two records, or are you guys going to dabble into uh like the later stuff too, or the earlier stuff? I don't, I don't know. No, definitely not the earlier stuff. We've talked about maybe dabbling a little bit, but. I, I don't know with everyone's schedule and workload of all this stuff we've got to learn um, that we'll actually get to it. You yeah. know, I can I can see us playing one or two songs off Lost in the Sound of Separation, but I could see that. I mean, but I don't know that it'll actually happen. I don't think we figured out. And, and you know what? That when we get in a room together, it'll be almost seven, almost eight years since we've been in a room together. So God knows what we'll do. You know what I mean? I have no idea. Like I know that these two records we have to learn and have down before we get to practice, but we might get in there and play some weird instrumental shit too who knows dude who knows you know what I mean? that's the <laughs> who beauty knows? Of, that's the beauty of under oath though is like is like y- you guys i don't want to say people will might expect you guys to do something weird but like you can definitely get away with it if you wanted to yeah it might be weird <laughs> I, I mean <laughs> you know but we haven't honestly what's insane is we've only talked about like the production and um kind of the vibe we haven't talked about anything else yeah so like like actually how we're going to implement it or the songs we haven't talked about. But, we yeah, decided but I mean, that's like what Tim said on the DVD, like the art comes first and it always has with the band and it absolutely yeah. should. Now that should be what you're focusing on. Not like how much money am I going to make at the end of the tour? That should be the last no. thing on your mind, you know? No, it definitely is. I mean, we are, 
we're going to come out and do something really special. I think that anybody who comes to this thing will see that it's, it's, I think it's going to be, I don't want to say that, but it's, it's going to be one of the best under oath tours, like in terms of like just how we present it. And, um, I feel really good about it. As long as we physically can do it, <laughs> we don't all, you know, <laughs> we're a lot all of songs to good, play, man. We're all in pretty good shape. Yeah. Um, so Chris lost a hundred pounds. He looks like fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. I know. I saw um, him. Where did I see him somewhere? Uh, I saw him. I think maybe it was Warp Tour. He came out, and I did not recognize him. And he looked at me. He's he's the, like, he was, and he was like Shane, and I was like, "Uh huh." I was like, "Oh my god, it's you!" Like it, he it was the only really big guy in the band, and now yeah, he yeah. is. I think he weighs the same amount I do. Like he's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's cra- I, I might be a little bigger than Chris. Like he's like ripped, dude. Like jacked. Good for so, him. So I think we'll get, you know, but again, I think it'll be a, such a special, and Spencer probably told you that. I mean, I think it's going to be such a special night. So, yeah. Yeah. Are you nervous? Are you nervous about being in the room, like, with these guys again? And, like... No, not at all. I'm nervous you're... about get the first show. I'm not nervous <laughs> about... I mean, you got to think, dude, we've... I mean, we have been playing together since high school. Yeah. So it's not... And there's nothing to be nervous about it. I mean, it's just... It'll cool. be... It'll be... It's like riding a bike, you know what I mean? Like, in terms of us playing together. I mean, I just don't know... I don't know about... <laughs> how i just want to be i want it to be accurately done you know um and you know you have a lot of time since we made those records i don't know if we're going to hear it the way it was accurately done right you know so we'll get it close enough where people know what the hell's happening i hope but <laughs> where uh where is the first show you guys are playing um so we're doing uh janice landing in our in our hometown yep. um and then we get on a plane and fly straight to self-help fest and then get on another plane and fly to uh, that so what festival yep. thing, and then our tour actually starts. Okay, so Janice, so Janice Landing is your warm up show. Janice Landing, we have the, we'll have the full show, the full production, the full deal, and then the bus will deadhead to straight to Texas. Yep. So the only festival, like, yeah, I think yeah, the only two festivals we're doing are those two. So yeah, so then I then everyone else will meet us after the self help thing. So, cool. Yeah. Now it's going to be great for people that are going to those two festivals because it's like it'll be really fresh. Like you guys will be really, really excited, you know, coming back. It won't yeah. be like you guys have already done like a world tour and then you're playing this this huge festival. So that'll be exciting. No, I'm man. excited. I'm excited. I think we're headlining this so what one. Um, yeah, you are. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I know that the, the self-help thing is – it. that's, you know, data remembers thing. But I think that we're probably playing right before them. So – We'll see what happens. I mean, the fact that it's just mind bending to me that we're like this headlining band now. Like, I never felt that way with Under Oath. You know, we did really well, like really well. But I, I this it feels bigger to me than when it was happening. Like, I can't. Yeah. Well, you wrap know, I think brain. I think you were so immersed in the band. I think all you guys were, and you guys had this go 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 schedule where you never like you know you never really stopped to smell the roses. And yeah. I think that that really was like it was. It, you guys were a huge band, and you guys were doing huge things, um, you know. And I'm surprised because of all the stuff you've done, and like since leaving Under Oath, you got, you've played big shows on your own, but you've played a lot of small shows on your own too. And sure. I'm surprised like you haven't been like, oh shit, yeah, I remember when like we headlined and there were three thousand people or four thousand people in like New York City or whatever, you know, because yeah. that happened. Yeah, so, you know, and it's gonna happen again, and and. You know, I think for you guys doing a reunion show, I think it's going to be big. But I mean, I don't even know if it'll be as big as you guys were like at your peak anyways, because you guys were literally one of the biggest bands in the world. Number two on the billboard, you know, with that record. That's crazy to hear. Like, 
from an outsider's point because I never looked at it that way, I guess. I mean, I guess I guess you're right. Like I told you, we were so wrapped up in it that like, you know, whatever. But it's it's interesting. You might – I mean, yeah. I mean, we, I think we went conservative on a lot of the venues because we didn't know. You know, I mean, yeah. we didn't – we had no idea. Like I – I yeah. I mean, when we, we started seeing this thing take off, I was like, what the hell? Like – and I still don't know who's going to be there. Like I see all these ticket sales and I'm so thankful and grateful. But who are the who are these people? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I I don't well, think it's the same people that were – I mean I don't think it's the same people that are listening to this stuff in that vein today. Well, it's amazing, man. Like and, and you know we just did our 10-year – uh, a tour of our second record, you know, discovering the yeah, waterfront. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did that last about a year ago. We did that, and what was amazing to me was, yes, like there were the people that that had continued to come out, and our fans that were, you know, like in their late twenties or or thirties. Uh, and then there would be kids coming out. Like there'd be a kid, like twelve years old, come up to me, be like, "Discovering the waterfront is my favorite record of all time," and I would be Weird. like, "You were in diapers when it came out." You know, and, and, and what I sort of learned about it was that like these records, like when you make a classic record and like, let's not kid, kid ourselves, like chasing safety and defining the great line are classic, classic records, you know? And when people, when people find out about whatever's popular now, you know, bring me the horizon or, or day to remember or whatever, people are going to look back at what records were, were the generation before and for those kids, yeah. it was under oath, and you know, maybe to a lesser extent, Silverstein. But um, but those records really do get passed down, you know, from from older brother to no, younger brother you're and right. stuff. And you're right. You're going to be just amazed. interesting to be a part of that. You're going to be amazed how you're going to you're going to walk in to the show, and it's going to be like you're going to feel like it's 2006, just with shorter hair. Weird. It's so weird to think about because you know, like no disrespect, I think those Bring Me guys are really talented, but I, it's just apples and oranges to me. Like, I think, you know, they're probably the biggest band in the genre right now. And I, yeah, I mean, when I listen to Define the Great Line and Chasing Safety, which I've been doing a shit ton the last couple yeah, of weeks, yeah. which is, which is super weird. I, and I've, you know, I've heard all the Bring Me the Rise and stuff. And, um, I just don't understand how someone who listened to, to that could like Under Oath. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't even, I mean, it, it's like Apple, like, like I said, it's like apples and oranges. I mean, it's not even in the same vein, you know yeah. what I mean, to me. But maybe, maybe you're right. I mean, you you just saw it last year, so yeah. No, I'm telling I'll... you, man, you're you're gonna be really, really um, surprised, pleasantly surprised at the age of the fans. It's not gonna be a bunch of like, you know, it's not gonna be the same vibe as like your solo stuff, um, um, but at a greater scale. You're gonna have have people coming out that are in their like early twenties and and teenagers will be there, and they're gonna be loving it, and they're gonna be singing every word. Because a lot of them haven't seen it before. A lot of them, I tell like my girlfriend, you know, she's ten years younger than me. She's never seen Under yeah. Oath play. Oh, and, okay. And she likes your records and, you know, she knows all the words and everything just, you know, because it's classic now. But but she – like I, I tried to explain to her like she didn't know you were – she didn't know you were the drummer. Like she, she didn't know oh. the drummer was a singer. Like she had, didn't know that aesthetic. And I'm like, yeah. And oh. he like – when he plays, he hits so hard and it's like awesome. And she's like, oh, okay. Like – and I'm like, you have to see it to understand what I mean, you know? Just like – So it's I, a whole – so – I mean, I guess there are a bunch. I guess if you're 25, you might not have been able to come to those shows because you were like 14 years old, 15 years old. Yeah. Well, she's also. I mean, she her story is a little bit different because she grew up in France, uh, you know, and she like went. She's lived back and forth between France and Canada, like you know, for the last oh, okay. 10 years. So for her, yeah. it's like a little bit, you know, a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But but 
but I think there is going to be a lot of people that haven't seen, you know, they just didn't get into, you know, um, um, the scene or whatever, like until, you know, two, like four or five years ago and you weren't in the band and under oath, you know, maybe didn't come around as much or whatever. So, uh, those people are going to be really excited to see it. And I think they're going to be stoked when they realize, ah, like this is what it is. I'm stoked that you guys get to see, you guys get to see and hang out, dude. I didn't know, I didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, I yeah, saw man. freaking I saw freaking Josh last week at the Nam show. Oh yeah, dude! I saw I was looking at your Twitter and uh, I saw that you were at Nam and I wanted to ask you. I was like, that was what I was going to ask you about first because Josh is there and he said like he he actually called Nam scary because he doesn't dude, like all the weird instruments and weird gear they have there. Horrible. <laughs> Hor- I'm, ne- I'm like like I'm you know being a studio owner now. I wanted to go see all like new audio stuff, but then yeah. I, I felt the. I felt the need to go like talk to all the drum endorsers and the stuff that I use on a regular basis. So I'm walking around there. I was there for the whole time, dude. Like I booked a hotel so I can like look at all the new audio gear. And on like the third day, Josh by himself, backpack on, a beer in his hand, is walking my way. I was like, oh, thank God, a familiar face. I was like, hey, man. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, you, you haven't been here for four fucking days. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> funny. Insane. Yeah, he, he was there. Yeah, he was the only one of us that went out there. I've never been before. Uh, and I don't think any of us have yeah. been before. And he was sending, he was sending pictures of like the funniest thing he, picture he sent was well, there was two that really were funny. There was one bass cab that had like fifty, like a thousand speakers, yeah, like fifty two yeah, speakers <laughs> in it or something. <laughs> like, how is so that going to sound good? Like an eighteen string bass. I didn't you know, see like, that. You can't even wrap your hands around. You but, can't even wrap your hands around the thing. It's like. Like you had to have to like straight finger the fretboard. Ridic- Dude, it was ridiculous. But my favorite it thing was- he sent was like a keyboard that was a circle that you could like <laughs> play and, and like I guess turn your body, you know, 360 degrees and just like keep playing. <laughs> I didn't see that one. I'll send you a picture hell? of it. Dude, that's insane. Oh, insane. man. So good. Yeah, so dude. Good. Well, hey, man. Well, right on, man. Well, I'm going to let you get back to the band uh, you're recording. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I hope uh, the project goes well, and uh, Damn, I'll we'll see you in Dallas, happens. man. All right, buddy. Thanks for your time. All right, man. Hey, thank you. So there it is, my conversation with Aaron. Just such a friendly dude. Uh, so much insight. Uh, you know, he's just so forthcoming with things, and uh, it's always great to talk to him. If you guys want to check out that crazy keyboard and that crazy bass cab, I'll uh, I'll post the pictures up on the Lead Singer Syndrome Instagram page. So at Lead Singer Syndrome. Uh, yeah, so that's one way to get you guys to check it out. So check it out on social media, uh, all that stuff. We're on Facebook, and we're on uh, Twitter as well. Next week, I'll be in Vegas when the episode goes up, but I'll make sure I have something. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to record it from Vegas or what I'm going to do. If I sound really out of it or drunk, uh, I apologize. Uh, Anyways, I'm going to leave you with the song Aaron and I talked about in the podcast a little bit. Track two on their only chasing safety. That's Aaron singing the intro. And this song is called A Boy Brushed Red Living in Black and White. Here it is on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. We'll see you next week. Can you feel your heartbeat racing? Can you taste the fear in your sweat? You've done this wrong, it's too far gone. These sheets tell of regret. I admit that I'm just a fool for you. I'm just a fool for you.
shake. I hate to see you.